0: I'm not down. i never it on the ground. I'm not down. I want go higher,
1: higher, higher than Hello, this is Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian, host of the Badass Women's Council podcast, and I am so glad that you're here because so many of us are in the middle of trying to keep careers together. Many of you are doing homeschool or have toddlers climbing up your leg while you're on a Zoom call, just spending the day trying not to lose your shit is sometimes a full-time job. So the fact that you made time to listen and be here, I'm super grateful. And I hope that it will be a calming, valuable experience for you today. We have Shelly Towns on the show. She is Chief Administrative Officer of Our Health. And I asked Shelly to be on the show immediately after meeting her over the most amazing ginger latte provider here in Indianapolis that we've both ever had. I crave it so much. It's one of the first things I'm going to go run and get as soon as we're released into the wild. But as I was talking with Shelly and just getting to know her, her story unfolds exactly how I talk about life being a breadcrumb trail of discovery, the way that she has discovered her unique gifts and talents and met specific needs in the organization using those is just so intentional. She has a journalism major and is now chief administrative officer, which I love this story because oftentimes I talk with folks who feel disappointed that they didn't use their degree in the job that they're in right now. But what you'll hear from Shelly is the curiosity that it takes to be a journalist has served her well throughout her entire career. So let's just get to it, shall we? Here we go, Shelly Towns. Hey, Shelly, how's it going? Hey, Rebecca, how are you? Super good. Thanks for being here
0: today. Yeah, thanks for asking. I'm excited.
1: Me too. And this conversation today for the podcast really came from how excited I got about our conversation when we first met and you shared with me kind of your story, your career story, and, um, a couple of things really stood out to me about you. And it's so funny when, when you hear people say that, you're always like, it's not a big deal because we downplay our strengths and our gifts. Right. Yeah, right. But you, you've been so intentional about your career and how you've made choices for yourself about your career, which takes an immense level of self-awareness. And I'm a huge fan of both. Could you start us off and just tell us a little about you and your career trajectory? Just tell us that story like you told it to me in the coffee shop, because I think there's tons of great things we can pull from that.
0: Yeah, I think. And when I think about that meeting, too, I still remember that's still the best cup of coffee I've ever had, that ginger latte. I've I've never had one of those before. It was awesome. We were at Provider, right? Uh, Yes. Yes. So shout
1: out to Provider. Yeah, that's Ginger Latte. mm Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yes,
0: girl. Post quarantine, <laughs> I'm going back. Um, so yeah. So the career, uh, you know, it's even funny. I think to even suggest it, to, I have a career. It just sounds so grown up. And sometimes I have to remind myself that I'm not as young maybe as I, I sometimes pretend to be. But um, you know, my Ooh. career, my career started as uh, as a journalist. And I had graduated from IU as a journalism major and went to work for magazines. Um, I love to write, and I think it was in college that I realized that writing was actually a marketable skill, um, that I could actually like pay my bills and put food on the table and go out on the weekends because of a writing um, habit was kind of a, a light bulb moment for me. And um, well, Let and it me was just pause fun.
1: on that and say we've done a disservice to young children and students deeply by us discovering that in college. Like, like that should be something earlier on that we see as a viable opportunity. I'm a huge yeah. fan of the gifts of artists. And, yeah. And that in and of itself is like, damn it, we missed it.
0: I Sorry, know. Um, keep going. you know, I, I, in school, like in high school and you know, whatever I, I had been in the, I'd always done well, like in the writing and the English classes. And so I knew I was, I guess, quote unquote, good at it. But I, I also kind of thought it was like sight or smell. Like, everybody can write. I've seen the guy next to me holding a pencil. He he can write. Um, And it wasn't until much later that I realized, you know, that that's just not true, Um, that there actually is, you know, an effectiveness and a utility to it that um, is just different. So glad I realized it uh, in in college and enjoyed that career path. I, I always enjoy, I would say, even now, I describe myself as a storyteller. Um, I definitely preferred the magazine format to what, you know, newspapers, certainly back then, this was pre kind of pre big internet phase. Um, You know, I I enjoyed the narrative storytelling. So it did, did magazines for about five years and, and it was very fun and um, got to kind of travel the country and tell different stories. Um, And then actually it was the, the magazine that that brought me to Angie's list. So Angie, Angie's list um, preceded the internet and, it, and it certainly in the beginning one of its biggest forms of communication with its members was this monthly magazine they produced. Tell, um, it, tell,
1: it, tell the listeners a little bit more about what Angie's list is for those that may not be from the Indianapolis area and have some context.
0: Sure. so Angie's list um, is is now you know kind of a household name and it, it really created the it, it built the space on for online reviews. Um, now we folk, Angie's list focused on service providers. So, Hey, which plumber is great. If I want to re-roof my house, who should I hire? And, you know, those are things as a a homeowner, those are emotional decisions. We always talked about it. There's a very high cost of failure. You know, I I can go and get a pizza and it kind of sucks, but it was 20 bucks. You know, eh, I won't go back there. You, you want to remodel your kitchen. It's going to be, you know, 60 grand. Somebody's in your house for every single day for probably three months. And if you hire the wrong person, um, it's, it's devastating, both financially and emotionally. Um, and so Angie's List really created this space uh, to, to be able to review and to share the great service providers, um, which is just such a cool um, thread of, of our country and the economy. And um, it's just kind of the unsung heroes. And I think you're seeing some of that now. But um there's just there's just people that are really great and there's some people that aren't so great and angie's List helped you decide which was which so the business began in actually in ohio and and then came to indianapolis um and and really grew uh quickly so the the company began in 95 we went public in 2011 um it was acquired by you know what is now home advisor and angie home services in 2017 um, I started at Angie's List in 2005. I think I was employee number 90. And, and at the time, you know, there's there's certain aspects of your of your career that you you don't really don't recognize until they're in the rearview mirror. Um, I'd probably heard the word startup. I think I was aware that I was at a startup, but I, I didn't know what that meant back mm. then. It's not the uh, it wasn't the sexy term that it is now. Exactly, mm-hmm. it, it it was not. Yeah. Um, And but you know what, it was sexy. And it was really fun. And so when I joined, I think I was employee 90, we were probably doing about $10 million in revenue. Um, And, you know, that business scaled to almost $400 million in revenue over the 12 years that I was there. So you can imagine the ride, you know, you're on kind of a rocket ship. um, And, and it's just, you know, careers are built um, within opportunities like that. Because when you're growing that fast, there, there are problems on Tuesday that didn't, that weren't there on Monday. And, and pedigree kind of goes out the window. Um, and it's just kind of next man up, you know, who, who do we have, we've got this thing that we need to go and figure out. Um, and it's really exciting. And so that was my experience at Angie's List. I entered there as a writer for the magazine. And I did that for a couple of years. And then I moved into the marketing uh, team and moved kind of parlayed my my journalism skills into more of content marketing. And, uh, you know, email, I think we were one of Exact Target's first customers back then, and um, trying to figure out what should go in all those emails on the web pages and all of that. So that was a kind of a fun change. I think a lot of people think, oh, you're a writer. Um, you know, they put writers into one bucket. But, you know, there's, there's very different skills within writing. Um, so I I really enjoyed the copywriting aspect of the new role. I I appreciated the short form, more of the influential marketing as opposed to writing to inform, but writing to influence.
1: And there Uh, wasn't a lot about that out in the marketplace like there is today. I mean, that's, that's a topic you can't open a business uh, journal of any kind and not see something about, but you were paving the way in that space too, right? For the, uh, content marketing? Mm Mm-hmm. So again, the it, online, the the, the like the, it just feels like at that in those ye, that year, yeah, um, that was new space. So I think
0: I think I could say that in retrospect, I certainly didn't appreciate it in the moment, <laughs> um, but it was fun, you know. And I think you know, writing to inform and writing to influence are are two very different things, and I enjoyed that piece of it. Um, I also enjoyed the Angie's List brand, you know, will let us have a lot of fun with with a lot of the copy and the content too, and so that was fun. And really, the primary role for me, and it really everybody in marketing at that point, was we need more members. And a member at Angie's List is a homeowner that's willing to pay us to, to have access to the reviews. Um, and so as we were scaling and we were going nationwide, we were spending a lot of money on TV ads and radio and, and print. Um, and we really needed to find some different um, customer acquisition channels that we could acquire members for cheaper and this is, you know, call it 2009, SEO was all the rage. It was kind of the new it girl um, and from a marketing standpoint That's back right. then. And, um, and the ask internally was, we got to stand up an SEO channel, and we need to, you know, we've got all of this potential traffic in Google, but it's not coming to Angie's list, and, and we, we, should, we should figure that out. Um, and so if you ask me what's the turning point of my career or what was the inflection point, I think it will always be this story. Maybe I'll have a an experience later in my career that will change. But for now, um, you know, I basically raised my hand and said, I'll, I'll do that. I'll figure that out. And and my boss, the CEO at the time, you know, kind of said, well, what do you know about SEO? And I, I don't know anything about it. I didn't even know what those letters stood for. Um, but, you know. At that point, I'd been there for about five years. The, the spirit of the place was such that, you know, who, who's done good work for us? Who do we like? Who do we trust? Let's just let her figure it out. Um, and and he, he, he gave me that opportunity. Um, and, and I also had some friends in the business too that encouraged me and nudged me to take that chance. Um, and I recognized at the time that the risk was low. You know, I, I didn't have kids. Our mortgage payment was really cheap. My husband was supportive of the of the risk and I really didn't have anything to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, Bill kind of said, listen, this is really important for the business. And, and if you don't figure this out, we'll probably have to make a change. And, you know, and he said that kind of tongue in cheek, but I understood. Um, and so we set about figuring it out. And I think my background as a journalist you know, when I get these assignments to do something that's new, I I kind of put on my journalist hat and I, you know, you start doing the research. And back then you start reading all the blogs about SEO um, expertise and who's an SEO expert. And you reach out to them and you interview seven or so and a pattern starts to emerge about what good looks like. And um and that's what happened and people love to to tell you how they figured things out and um, and I certainly wasn't in a, didn't have any interest in in being a martyr and figuring it out for myself so I just kind of begged borrowed and stole a lot of the best practice advice and we built an SEO strategy and we went from selling about 100 memberships online per month to 30,000 per month over the 4 years that we built that team
1: um, and, and, you know, I think we need to pause on this because, again, it's one of those things that because it's a part of your story, it, it, we, we, we need to highlight this for everyone else because the skill of or the interest and then the skill of, of journalism to say anybody can do this thing where you say, I'm curious, I'm going to go gather information and I'm going to ask them how they did it. Like that, those two things you could apply in your, anybody's career that's listening right now. So you didn't, you wouldn't have to have been, it certainly helped you because you had the skills to do it in a much higher way. But for anybody out there listening to say, hey, if there's something that you're interested in or a challenge that you've been asked to solve within your company or your career, be curious, go ask people who have done it because they want to share their story. I think sometimes we fall into that trap where we say, I don't want to bother them. Or I don't, I don't want to appear like I don't already have it figured out. So I'm yeah. not going to go ask. And and that is, that's a death trap. Like that's keeps us stuck. But I love this whole curiosity thing. So I just wanted to yeah. pause on that because I think that's important. Keep going. I love no. it. No, I think. No, you're right, and
0: I think I wish more people would harness that because you're right. You don't you don't need to have a journalism degree to do those things. And if you ask me, like if you if you said, "Hey, you can keep one kitchen appliance," what would it be? It would be my cast iron Dutch oven because everything just tastes better when it comes out of it. And if I could only keep one skill set for my career, it would be the willingness to ask those questions um, because it, it it requires no degree, it requires no title, um, it, it only requires the the initiative, and and to your point, the intentionality of, of wanting to know more. And I think when you think about leadership and you think about, you know, the, the relative difference between maybe an individual contributor who's early in their career and a senior executive who's got 20 or 30 years, you know, the big difference is the complexity of the decision making and, and the, um, the amount of impact that their decisions carry. And... So, so how do you demystify that? And, and as an entry level folk person or an individual contributor who wants to grow their career, you know, what are the things you can do? You can get really good at making decisions. Um, and one of the one of the sorry about that, my house alarm's going off. Um,
1: That's one of the things about our podcast is we just embrace real life and sometimes okay. <laughs> real life is, is inconvenient, but we don't edit. We just go right. with
0: it. <laughs> okay. Real life. Um, and so, yeah. So, you know, asking those questions, so I think, you know, what, what is making good decisions look like? It means, it means getting good information and getting good information means, you know, how to ask good questions and you know who to ask them of um, and you can practice that at any point in your career. And so, you know, I, I definitely it has served me well in every role I've ever had. And I always retreat back to that foundation. Whenever I get a new assignment, a new role. Um, you know, even even in my personal life, I, I leverage that. So I, I would say if you if you took if I could offer no other advice, it would be, it would be to do that. And and people love, like you said, you feel like people feel like they're bothering you. People love that. They really do. And and I think if in in case you're listening and you're worried, like, I don't know, think just turn the tables. If somebody asked you, would you feel annoyed? And the answer is you wouldn't. So take advantage of that. Um,
1: and that can be in anything that you're asking for help, asking for advice, gathering information. I can remember, um, my uh now ex-husband which isn't really a part of the story uh, he was in between uh careers and we were talking about networking and he said and I said you know here are you know some people that are in your life that would love to help you and give you information and he and he said I don't want to bother them yeah and I said how would you feel if they called you right. exactly that thing and he and he looked at me and he goes I'd totally help them I'm like right. people want to help
0: Absolutely. ask them Yeah. yep totally. um. So so anyway so that was really fun and that was the arc that was the hockey stick of my career that role um the stakes were high the risk was low for me personally but it was probably a little bit higher for the business um and it was just an inflection point for Angie's list it was an inflection point for me personally um and i you know in in those t- in that time i'd say you know some of the things i i learned and and became aware of i should say and, and started to work on honing it was um how, how, do you, how do you manage up? I, I was reporting pretty much directly to the CEO for that responsibility. And um, how do you go into the CEO's office and, and what's appropriate to put in front of them? And one of the best pieces of advice I got from a colleague at the time was, hey, don't go in there and tell him all the things that are going well. Go in there and tell him all the things that are going poorly because that, that's where he can help. Well, I'm a marketer and the baby's not ugly, like everything's fine, right? I had to learn how to articulate, this isn't going well. And I had to get really comfortable being willing to say what, when things weren't going well, because that really just went against my whole wiring. Um, and that was learned behavior that I, I continue to try to hone, and you get really comfortable with it. Um, and it's really important. I think it's a, a huge sign of professional maturity when, when folks on my team are willing, they feel comfortable and able and they have the awareness to tell me what isn't going well. Um, because every business and every person has problems and they always will. But the question is, do you know what the problems are? And do you know what to do about them? And, and not knowing one or both of those questions is a problem. And so getting good and comfortable at recognizing what what is holding us back and what could we do about it? Um, That's a really important part of the career uh, development.
1: Okay. So this I'm passionate about. This ties really tightly into story and narrative, right? So we can tie this into, you know, Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey um, story arc, right? When things are in struggle you know, every character of a story goes through some struggle, right? And it's in that struggle that they find the right people to help them through that struggle. This is the way life should and could operate. Business is one big story and money fuels that story. And so being comfortable and learning to articulate what is going not so well and being the kind of leader that receives it as an opportunity is a huge business lesson that plays into our humanity because we do want to help each other. We are hardwired to support and help. And when we know how, and we don't feel like we have to have all the answers and we don't have to feel like we're always the hero in the story, we can be the guide. That is how business gets better. That's how we feel value and relevance in the roles all roles that we play in our business. That is a that's huge. Like that one's big. It is big. And I think getting, you know, depending on
0: your just your personality, I think some people are more or less comfortable with that. But even even if your manager is not asking you, you know, you can ask yourself and you can hold yourself accountable to being aware of those things in your personal life and in your professional life. Um, And then figuring out, you know, how how am I going to approach this? Because I think the other thing for me that was a big learning uh, moment. I think I felt like at some point there was a finish line, and that there was going to be a day where all the problems were just we figured it all out. And then, gosh, now what? We what are we going to do? And, and the and the reality is that that day will never come. Um, and not all problems are are ready to be solved. And so I think the timing of that too. It's like, hey, what are the problems? What are the biggest problems? And do we have the the resources, the talent, the time, the money, whatever to solve it? Um, that was a big kind of relief valve for me, I think, because I felt like whatever the list of problems were, we had to knock them off and some of them just aren't going to get knocked off Mm -hmm. and that's okay. But as long as you're kind of cherry picking the right ones, I think one of the things I tell things I tell my teams all the time is, um, you know, don't confuse being busy with being effective. That Uh, was
1: exactly the line that was in my head when you were telling that story.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's very different and, and it's very easy to get busy, especially in the chaos of the day or if you're like at a high growth business or um, inevitably thing, you know, stuff just comes up. But but don't confuse being tired at the end of the day with, with adding value. Um, and at the end of the day, it's your responsibility to, di- to distinguish between the two.
1: That's and if what you don't I call the difference.
0: Do that, you need to ask for help, you know.
1: Absolutely. That's the what I call the difference between striving and thriving, right? When you fall in bed at the end of the day exhausted from striving, it feels bad. When you fall in bed at the end of the day, exhausted from thriving, where you've added value and had impact. So I'm always asking my clients not to look at their to-do list as much as they think about the impact. Right. So so draw out out of all the things you could be working on, where is the where is the greatest ripple effect of impact? Yes. That's where you want to put your best diligence and effort
0: totally i agree and it's hard i would say that's probably one of the hardest parts of every job any job you know and any at any time in your career there's always more to do than will ever get done and do you know where to spend your time and do you know what to say no to um, that's a big one you know i think like what to say no to and, and when to say yes and those kinds of things are hard and and, and you shouldn't make those decisions in a vacuum um, and if but if you, if you don't know how to articulate that list or the trade-offs, it's hard to have the conversation. So I think a lot of people just skip that step because it's hard. Um, As a
1: coach, that's the oftentimes the value I provide is just having that conversation out loud. I mean, I spent two hours with one of my clients yesterday who's a CEO of a startup, just helping her think out loud through that. mm -hmm. You know, here were her top priorities. What should she be saying no to? What's where get what gets her time? And just thinking through it with somebody else to kind of reflect and hold up the mirror back to her is hugely helpful it's hard to do it on your own it is yep it is hard so now you're in the situation where you're reporting to the ceo you are learning to articulate what isn't going well and feeling this you're feeling success because you're getting great results but you're also realizing there is no finish line so 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 what happens next so um you know over those four years, in retrospect, we built kind of
0: a product team within the marketing uh, team at the time. And, um, and the CEO kind of said, Bill said, Hey, listen, we need what you did for marketing. We need that for Angie's List. Um, Angie's List had become a tech company. And we really weren't thinking of it that way. Um, but, you know, we'd gotten to a point where we had more than $300 million in, in search revenue running through our search engines inside of our site. And, and yet, we were operating as an IT shop. And there's a big difference between IT and software. Um, and so, just as an organization, you know, when you talk about tech companies and um, a tech culture, you know, tech is a way of life. It, it's a way of planning. It, there's a way of decision making. Um, you know, you don't just hire a couple of engineers and you're a tech company. Um, and you don't, you know, you can't just put together a ping pong table and a couple of kegs and, and have the devs and then that's it. You know, it's, it's way more than that. It's, it's actually, it's got to become part of the DNA of the organization. Um, and so we realized that we needed to be a tech company and we weren't. And so Bill said, hey, I'm going to pull you out of marketing. I'm going to make you the VP of product. I don't know what that is. What does that mean? You know, same same thing. Go back. Um, I started calling kind of colleagues or people that I was aware of um, in the in the space, just like in Indianapolis and more broadly. Our board was a great um, generator of, of networking opportunities. To say, listen, you're a tech company. You have a product organization. What does that mean? What does a functional org chart look like? What do What are the artifacts that a great product organization has? What does a good roadmap look like? Um, how do you work with the engineers? How how does engineering and a product report up through the organization? How do you make decisions? Um, one of the most probably interesting and surprising conversations we had in that whole transition was, what is the definition of done? You know, we, we kept saying, we would say things are going to be finished or delivered, but what does that mean? And it means something different to everybody. And um, and, and so, anyway, so I, I kind of did the same thing that I had done with SEO. I went back to the well and, and started calling a bunch of experts and, and people that had kind of the role that I was I was being asked to play, but had done that role elsewhere, um, and tried to figure it out. And uh, one of the cool things that I was I was that was really cool for me personally was I ended up hiring a, a product coach. So Mike Reynolds had just launched. Innovate Map, which is a, an awesome business in Indianapolis, and they, they kind of help people dream and build products, um, folks that maybe can't, don't have the resources to employ a full product shop within their organization. Um, Mike had just launched that business after running product for um, a Primo, which had been acquired by Teradata, and I, I just said, listen, I don't have a product for you to build yet because I'm still trying to figure out what that even means for Angie's List. I'm the product. I need to be a product executive at a, at a company that's on the verge of becoming a tech company. And I need to know what that means. And so we, we built a, a roadmap for ourselves. We had a backlog and we met every week for, I want to say, four hours maybe. Um, and he trained me and he, and he educated me. Um, but getting the most out of that engagement required me to be vulnerable. And it required me to say, I don't know what a good roadmap looks like. I don't know how to build a product team. Um, and can you help me? And um, and to be fair, you know the executive team at Angie's at that time hadn't had a product executive either. So you know, not only was I not sure what to give up, I don't know that they knew what to ask of me, especially. Um, and so there was just some organizational training and new muscle development that had to happen in order for us to really kind of hit that another inflection point for the business. Um, and so that was just that was a huge deal for me personally. And we spent about a year together. Um, And I just learned, I learned so much. Um, And and that was, again, back to the asking the questions, asking for help, um, prioritizing, that was a big one for me, uh, kind of on the second phase.
1: So the two things that are really bubbling up for me in this story is that in every situation, you're falling back on your curiosity So curiosity made you a great journalist. Um, Curiosity helped you get through what I call this sea of uncertainty. We talk a lot about everything we want is on the other side of fear, but it's not really fear because fear is only the appropriate word if it's physical danger. But what we most often feel in these situations is that vulnerability of being uncertain of how things are going to turn out. Your entire career has been stepping into that sea of uncertainty and saying, you know what? What? I know I don't know the, what's coming next, but I'm curious enough to go ask some people who do. Hmm. Yeah. And that's the thread that I see throughout your story that just continually serves you well. And I'm always asking my clients to uncover their unique gifts, talents, and abilities. And and that is clearly one of your superpowers is to be hmm. okay in that uncertainty because you're curious enough to go find the people who have already done it or can help you. Yeah
0: you know I, the the conversations that you get to have are so fun, you know. Um and I think and and maybe it's just been my experience to date, but I feel like there's only ever been a positive outcome or a positive reinforcement from behaving that way. I haven't had my hand slapped yet. You know, you go through that phase of your career where you're convinced that there's a stupid question to ask. And oh God, if I'm the one that asked it today, I'm going to get fired or I'm never going to get invited back to this meeting and I just have yet to discover that um, I, I don't think it means that I'm um, that I, I that I don't pay attention or that I have an ego such that I just think that everything I ask is smart. I'm not saying that. I just think that the, the question that you have in the back of your head that you're worried might be the wrong question is typically the question that everybody else wishes somebody would ask and just be OK asking that question, you know, and um. I, you know, certainly, there's a time and a place in certain meetings or in certain conversations where, you know, maybe that maybe it's not the right time to ask it per se. But you know, the idea. I was talking to somebody else last week about this, and I talk a lot, especially with my younger team members. I, I'm a huge fan of the OR Fellowship, which is a leadership development program in Indianapolis, and we've I've been I've just been so fortunate to work with every an OR fellow from almost every class in the 20 years of that program's existence. Um, And they're just so great and they're so hungry for advice and for professional development. I remember having a conversation with them. You know, they're they're convinced that there's an echelon of decision making that they just haven't reached yet, that there's a magic room somewhere where all the smart people get together and and maybe, you know, and, and certainly I'm not capable of being in that room and that just isn't true. Um, and that's something that I have to remind myself of every once in a while, because I certainly suffer from imposter syndrome. I know most people do. Um, but there just isn't, you know, and, and, and just when you think there is, and then you get to that room, the room that you thought was that room and you get there and you're just like, Oh, this this is, these are normal people. And that, that person just said something that I disagree with, or that person I think is, doesn't have the right idea. And then you think, Oh, well that it must be the other room. It must be the building down the street where all the smart people are getting together. And then you get there and you're just like, no, these are, I mean, not to say that they're not smart people. They're certainly smart people, but they're not any smarter than you are. And everybody's just
1: figuring it out as they go along. I remember the first consulting engagement I was on with my colleague who was, of course, you know, showing me the ropes. And we're in this room full of senior executives for a really large, reputable organization that as I walked in the room, trembling a little inside, trying not to show it, um, We walked out and I, and I looked at my colleague and I said, they, they don't, they don't know. Like, and and I don't even, and he said, what do you mean? And I said, I just thought that executives in that company would have more figured out. Right. And he said two things. He goes, number one, that's why you will always have a job as a consultant. Uh And number two, nobody has it all figured out. That's why we're here to help guide them. And that was so freeing for me. I was like, oh my gosh, yay. I thought I was the only one who didn't know. Right, and I think, and once you figure that out
0: for yourself, and once you allow yourself to believe that that's true, it, it is such a trigger point, and it's it does, like you said, it's so freeing, and I think it humanizes the people you work with. There is there is value in seeing the CEO of a business with a cape on and and believing that they're invincible, but I think sometimes if that's all you see, you don't talk to them as a human, or you you have expectations of them that aren't fair, then and then. The table, and then it becomes not like kind of a fair table. So there, there's certainly value in, in kind of seeing the leaders as omnipotent or just um, a, a special breed. And in many cases they are, but they're human
1: mm-hmm.
0: and being willing to talk to them as humans and, and admitting that they're fallible and, and understanding, you know, not just kind of not glossing over allows you, I think, to have so much more real conversations and really talk about things without making assumptions on either person's behalf.
1: Yeah. Amen. So you've gone from being a journalist to the VP of product in this story, which I think is fascinating Mm -hmm. and such a great reminder of people not to let whatever box somebody else has told them to be in is where they need to stay, but to be open to the opportunities that are there and be curious and, and follow that, what I call kind of that breadcrumb trail of discovery about yourself and what you can do. So, so now that you're in this VP of product role, let's let's play this story out to, to get to where you are today with our health. Okay. So VP
0: of products, basically we decide we've got to rewrite all of Angie's list. Um, we were sitting on a bunch of tech debt and in order to build kind of the roadmap of the future and the product experience of the future, we were going to have to rewrite. So we went into this huge kind of migration over the course of about four years. Um, and it was one of those things where I, I learned probably more in that phase Um than maybe I've ever learned in my career in terms of kind of a an, an actual project or assignment, um, and it's one of those things where it's kind of like when you get married, you you don't ever want to go through it again, but but you kind of wish you could just because you could apply some because you learn so much through it. Um, so I did learn a lot, and and you know at the end of the day, we 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 got there, we we got the migration done. It, it took longer than we than anybody would have hoped or liked, but. Um, it, it it did it it transitioned Angie's List into a tech company both externally and internally, um, which was really fun to see. And I think to you know that that was just like a, a kind of a different dimension of the job. Um, I don't think it, you know there was never like a it was never an action item on anybody's to do list. You know, make Angie's List a tech company per se. But um, you know that that was probably the one of the a fun part of that evolution and being able to work on that. Um, so anyway, you know, I think too, being a product manager, which is essentially what I was in a leadership role and building a a group of product managers and designers and researchers, you know, nobody goes to school to be a product manager. It's not a title that anyone really is aware of until you get into the career or into tech. Um, and so I think being able to, to recognize that product management was a really cool career track that I I just didn't even really know about um, and you basically kind of get to be the CEO of your product. And so it really does leverage a lot of skills and, and that was a very fun role to be in because it, it just brought so much dimension to it. You know, whether you're working with finance on business modeling or working with researchers on user experience, or you're working with the engineers on the actual build, or you're working with marketing to the, to actually tell the story of your product and how you're going to bring it to market. Um, it really does tap a ton of just different interests um and and i i really enjoyed that and appreciated that and it was really fun um and then i guess the next arc of the story would be angie's list was was going to be sold um and for me personally i i thought it was it felt like a nice time to transition i'd been there for 12 years um and when i said about you know i think when you kind of get to that level and you've i i'm the, my husband stays home with our kids. You, you don't just walk away from a job like that. Actually putting together an exit strategy was important. Um, and I think back to the point of, of asking for help and, and letting people give advice, you know, Indianapolis especially is just such a great network, a networking town. Um, and people are really accessible. And there's, there's great people in this town who are at the ready to help and to give advice. And I, and I got great advice about how to think about leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and how to think about what I'd want to do next. And some of the questions I got were, uh, you know, do you want to build something or do you want to fix something? And that's that's really different, you know, and how you're going to spend your time and your talent, um, depending on which path you choose, creates a very different uh, next step. And so I, I appreciated that perspective. That was really interesting. Um, I was asked to think back on the on my on the past kind of 15 years and say, you know, where when did you have the most fun? What, what was the business up to? What were you personally doing? What, what was the construct of that environment? And, and I think that, you know, just being reflective on that, we, I basically felt like I had run a sprint. I mean, it was just a full out sprint for 12 years. I, I don't know that I ever catch my, caught my breath there. And I think most of us felt that way. Um, it was only in arrears that I was able to articulate a lot of the learnings and, and kind of appreciate oh man, I would never do it that way again. Or, oh man, remember we went through that and how cool was that? Um, you know, one of the great things about Angie's list was, you know, we built an iconic brand and we had, I think 96% aided brand awareness by the end of it. And, and, um, and so because of that we we attracted talent from all corners of the country to come and help us build that business and when you're exposed to that many different styles and types of leaders you just be able to kind of beg and borrow and and watch a lot of different ways to to either make decisions to run a meeting um to to lead to to build to hire you know all these great things and so it was such a it was such a cool experience. And so when I, when I thought back, you know, I I would have said kind of that 50 million to hundred million dollar run was the most fun. Um, you had great resources, you had the ability to attract solid talent, you had enough people to kind of be dangerous, but not so much that you had, you know, tons of red tape. Um, and so I was trying to find a business that kind of fit that trajectory um, and I also, also like the idea of kind of that mission driven kind of big problem to solve on behalf of, you know, society or, you know, the, um, so, and, and trying to think of what else, you know, I, it just got some really great advice for how to think about and how to, um, focus my sights on where might be a great next spot. And, um,
1: which is that intentionality. You, you looked back and you gathered information that helped you move forward, that's That's so helpful, so t- often with my clients when I ask them to go back even all the way to being you know a teenager or a child and things that they love to do and challenges that they love to to solve it it gives you clues as to where you should go moving forward, and so that act of reflection um is is really important as a part of being intentional,
0: yeah, and I think um you know I can remember being in a meeting once where we had um it was a meeting to approve a new policy for policy creation. Whew. Nope. This is where <laughs> I get off. Um, I definitely knew I wanted to be more on the startup slash scale up side of the equation. Um, and so, you know, once you kind of set your sights on, like you said, I, I kind of had the list and, and, you know, I, I also feel a, a responsibility to give back to the community and to participate in things outside of, where I work. And I also wanted to go somewhere where the leadership appreciates that and and supported it. You know, if I was going to have to justify to my new boss why I was going to take off on Tuesday afternoon for a board meeting, I just didn't want to have to do that. Um, So I was introduced to Ben Evans, who's the the co-founder and CEO of, of Our Health and you know, he just checked all those boxes for me. Um, it was they're they're trying to solve a health a big healthcare problem. You know, maybe education's a bigger problem in this country than healthcare, but uh, they're jockeying for one and two. And so it was hard to find a bigger problem with a more um, satisfying potential than healthcare. Um, and the idea of of making great you know doctors and nurses more accessible to people that otherwise probably wouldn't go. That that was interesting to me. Um, Very entrepreneurial. They weren't building a lifestyle business. This was something that they really wanted to be aggressive about and and to grow. You know, not necessarily quickly, but but you know, strong. And they wanted they were going to be very intentional about that growth. That was interesting. Um, They the leadership at our health is very involved in the community, and um, that was an easy one. So that you know that that was not an issue. And they fit the trajectory in terms of the size and the scale of the business. Um, they were, they, they too were at an inflection point and they were looking to add people to the leadership team that had kind of seen the movie before. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest things when you're growing that fast, you got to be able to see around corners and kind of know what's coming and have plans in place before it really hurts. Um, and I was excited to be able to provide that kind of vantage point because at, at Angie's list, almost everything we were seeing it for the first time. Um, and so to join a business that was kind of on that uphill climb and, and be able to bring some of that experience um, was, was exciting. And so I, I joined uh, our health in 2017.
1: Tell us a little bit about the mission of our health as it serves your customers, the community. Tell us a little bit about the nuts and bolts of that.
0: Yeah. So, you know, there, there's basically two pay, two health care payers in the United States. There's the federal government and there's employers. And The employers bear a huge burden on behalf of their employees to provide health care, um, which you know is a responsibility and one that you don't see the employers running away from. But at the end of the day, um, it's expensive, and and it's it's a it's hard it's hard to run a business under great circumstances. But the health care costs are, are rising at an exponential rate, and it and it's just very difficult to keep up. Um, and the federal government is not in a position to really do anything about that right now. It's you know they're, they're just not making any improvements there, so what our health did was kind of inject itself and say, Hey, we're going to build um, basically clinics for your employees and they can come and, and see us. Um, well, you know, through the health plan, we understand the network and we'll, we'll manage their referrals appropriately. Um, but instead of either number one, not going at all, which is what most people do. And then things go missed. So example, for example, somebody who's a pre-diabetic, um, never gets seen, and then it goes to full-blown diabetes. You know that's a that's a lifestyle hit. It's a it's a healthcare hit. It's an expense hit for both the employee and the employer. Um, so creating this access point for employees that they can be seen um, through a trusted provider g- conveniently has has really marshaled a lot of folks to get healthcare and to have conversations that they otherwise wouldn't have had. So, um, the employers have been very responsive. You know, we've got a lot of progressive employers that are looking for something new to provide both, whether it's like a, a recruiting benefit or a talent retention benefit or, you know, just a health plan strategy to reduce your costs. Um, and we are able to return savings because if you're not seen the costs blow up because now you're, you know, in, in the diabetes example, you're, you're just more expensive in the system. Um, but otherwise, if you if you don't have a, a primary care provider, you're going to go to the ER and you use the ER or urgent care as that primary care. A, it's a transaction. You're not building a relationship with that ER doc or the urgent care uh, provider. And B, um, you know, it's expensive. It's really expensive. Um, so anyway, so so our health, we we currently have, like I said, we're merging. So we've got about 150 employers across the country that provide our clinics to their employees. We have a ninety-eight percent satisfaction rate. Um, we have nearly a hundred percent renewal rate among our all of our employers because it's a great benefit and they love it, and the employees love it. And it's really hard um, once you've experienced it, you don't want to not experience it.
1: So that's a thriving business. You know, you yeah. know some businesses out there that are striving and, and battling, but that's one that provides value all the way around. Is one that's growing and prospering because it's serving.
0: Yeah, we feel we feel good about it. it's a it's a fun business to work on. You, every day you hear of patient stories where a disease was caught or a, a lifestyle you know, improved and people are just so grateful for the access. Um, and, and I think the other big piece too is our, our providers, so the doctors and the nurses that choose to practice with us, um, nobody, goes to fam- nobody goes to med school to become a family care provider physician um, to practice turnstile medicine you know, at the big hospital systems, you have the six, basically the, the watch starts, the, the stopwatch starts and you have six minutes. Mm-hmm. And you're not building relationships with your patients or solving, you know, curing diabetes or, or solving some of these big healthcare issues in six minutes. Um, it's not why they got into medicine. And, and our health allows these providers to practice medicine the way that they always wanted to. Uh, we we focus on outcomes, not volume. And, and that's a huge differentiator. And we've been able to attract a ton of great providers as a result of that.
1: I bet. I bet. And so you are in a uh, time of transition right now. Um, tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. So we're excited. We're, we're merging with Marathon Health, which is headquartered in Vermont. Um, and I think if you would have asked our, our founders a couple years ago, Hey, who's the best, who's, you know, if not you guys, who else is great in this space? And they would have said marathon. It's somebody that we admired externally. Um, the opportunity to bring those two businesses together was just, is, was one that they, they couldn't pass up. It was, it was a really cool opportunity. Um, the space, there's a ton of visibility in this space. You know, you've got people like Facebook and Apple and Amazon, you know, they're, they're getting in. They're, they're, are we going to build our own clinics? Are they hiring vendors themselves? They recognize this as a huge opportunity. And so there's just a ton of really cool visibility in, in the space that, that we're building. And the opportunity to partner with Marathon Health to take it to the next level is really cool. So the combined business will become the number two player in the space across the country, which is often the folks that, that take them, take the idea to the employers. Um, and and the, there's great employers around the country that, that have long known the benefits of this kind of a service. Um, and they're one of our best resources in terms of that word of mouth marketing. Um, they, they love to talk about it. They're proud to offer the benefit to their, their employees. Um, and and we, we believe that it's a huge space with a huge opportunity.
1: Mm, i'm excited for you you know i i always hate wrapping up because i'm i love people's stories and i could keep you know me i could keep doing this for another hour (laughs) i would be remiss if i didn't call uh, uh, us to talk about something we talked about before we started recording and and when we started talking about story i ask you to share with me um A struggle in your story. Because when we hear these stories, we open up, you know, I just interviewed uh, Maggie Dials from Salesforce about her uh, appointment as uh, one of the 40 under 40. And, and we see people like you and Maggie that are doing wonderful things out there and their careers, your careers are doing amazing things. And sometimes we can be sitting in a place of, Of struggle or wondering how you got there. And I always want to call out on this podcast that all of you, us who have, who have achieved some level of success have, have also overcome some struggles. And one of the things that you brought up early on that I think is important because it's really played in to be a part of your story is your ability to go out and ask for help. Like, This has been the theme that has been through this entire, this entire episode. You, you had to overcome some early struggles that allowed you to do that. Would you mind sharing that story with our listeners? Because I think that's one that many people can resonate with.
0: Sure. Um, so, yeah, I think, I mean, it, for me, it started pretty early on. You know, my parents got divorced when I was 12 and it was, it was an emotional experience. I think it's, it's always an emotional experience for anybody that goes through that. But I, I feel like I just became acutely sensitive back then that I I didn't want to be a burden. And my mom was a single, single working mother. She's a nurse. Um she's 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 excellent. She's world renowned for what she does and, and she she worked a lot and, and I admire her for that and, and much of my work ethic has been impacted and influenced by her personally. Um, you know, she never called in sick to work until I had my second child and I went into labor on a weekday. Um she's worked at the same place for 40 years. And so, you know, I just at 12 years old, I, I was I, I think I was aware of what she was up against as a single mom, to the extent that I could be at 12. And I just didn't want to add to that burden. And I just felt like something switched inside of me to say, you know, you just got to do some of this stuff. And you just got to take care of some of this stuff and not not really depend on people. And I I, I definitely would not want it to come across as though I did not depend on my mom. She was always there. She she is still there for me. Um, And she she took care of us but I also wasn't going to add to her plate. I was going to get good grades. I wasn't going to get in trouble. I just felt a responsibility to do that. And at some point as I, as I got into my career and started working and even started having, you know, like uh, relationships of my own, um, that's a hard switch to unwind. And I can remember having a conversation with my now husband when we were dating and, you know, we were kind of at a, at a little bit of a crossroads and he just said, listen, um, you know, I, I can't make you need me. Um, you, you've got to let me love you and let, let you, you've got to let me, um, help. And, and that was just a hard, I felt like at that point, I was probably 15 years into not really doing that with people. And that was a hard thing for me to unwind. And so I, I certainly was aware of it on the personal front and, 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 you know, he was in a position to help me and to give me advice. And uh, on the professional front, though, is, you know, when you move from an individual contributor to building teams and leading teams, um, you, you just can't approach the teams that way. And so that was something that I had to learn. You know, I think getting advice or getting uh, feedback, you know, you're too intense. Um, you're, you're too focused on what needs to get done. You, you need to worry about the individual. You need to ask for help. Um, th- that was learned behavior. And I think at this point, You know, that was probably a wake up call for me now, probably 15 years ago. Um, At this point, I think I've, I've, I'm certainly better at it. I can always do better. And it's something that I'll always probably have on my self-improvement list. Um, Because I I just think, you know, one of the, when I think about the leaders that have impacted me the most and those that I get the most from, it's the ones that are willing to be vulnerable with me um and i know how important that is and 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 so i think just reminding myself to to be human and to uh to check in with people sometimes i let the 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 problem of the day or the the to do list you know kind of get in the way of that and and, it, and it's certainly never my intention so it's something that i think about a lot and work on a lot um and, and I know that it's, it's the right, it's, you know, it's the right way to, to do things and the better way to do things. So um, sometimes I fall, fall back into old habits and somebody will snap me out of it, but um, it's, it's one that, that I know it's important and uh, I am proud to say that I'm better than I was and, and hopefully um, will continue to, to do better.
1: I love that. Thank you for sharing it because I know all of us have some something that could hold us back from experiences in our past, whatever, uh, wherever they came from, and the ability to look back on those and receive feedback and, and realize that um, making changes is, is for the better. It's, it's, it's good that we share those kinds of stories, because I know there's lots of people out there that needed to hear that today. So thanks. Thank you for sharing it. I love hanging out with you. I appreciate you being on. I remember when I asked you to do a podcast, you kind of looked at me like, what are we going to talk about? And and I think that it's just real women doing great things and sharing those stories will will help so many and encourage so many today. So thanks. For, That's awesome. Well,
0: I, I appreciate the opportunity. It's, it's fun to kind of take a trip down memory lane and um, you know having these kind of conversations is a reminder to me too on things that I'm, I'm working on or things that you know Were impactful to me when you have to tell your story you're forced to kind of remember the the milestones and um, it, It's always it's it's fun to remember those things and to reflect on them And, and I appreciate the opportunity to do that with you.
1: You bet. Thanks so much and I'm not coming down I hope you found Shelly's story encouraging to use your unique gifts and talents and explore and be curious. Those are traits that you don't need a journalism background to use, but it certainly has served her well. Thanks so much for being here. I hope y'all are doing well. I hope you're taking care of yourself. If you're not, take this as a directive or permission or whichever one is going to resonate best with you today and do so. Eat well, rest well. Take the time that you need. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. We're all just doing the best we can in these times. So don't be all stressed out that you're not doing it right because y'all, we've never been here before. There is no right and wrong way to live this way. We're not built for it. It's hard on us. It's trauma for our brains. So give yourself a pass. Give yourself a break and I can't wait for you to listen to the series that's coming up next. We have a series dedicated to Stand Tall in Your Story, which is an event that I hosted on March 5th, which was the last time I was in a crowded room, and I miss it so very much. And I've heard from many of you that attended that night that it was the last time that you were out and about as well. So I can't wait to bring you this next series, all dedicated to the women of Rise and Thrive and their stories. More on that to come. If you're not subscribed, make sure you do so so you don't miss it. Okay, love you, mean it. Make it a great day.